Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a wonderful opportunity we have had to worship today. Welcome to Bridgeway Community Church. Thank you for tuning in all around the world. I hope you were blessed by the opportunity to worship the great Jehovah God and be reminded that goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. We are in the middle of a brand new series we started just a couple of weeks ago called Threshold. We talked about the only door. We talked about the open door. Today, our title is The Shut Door. Next week, The Covered Door, and we're gonna have communion next week as well. You don't wanna miss that. And then we'll end the series with The Kingdom Doors. Are you uh, excited that we've been able to teach on these doors, decisions, transitions, and what it means to have a relationship with God for eternity? I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks. And now I'm gonna bow and ask God to be with us in today's message, The Shut Door. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we now pray that your word would go into us. And I pray expectantly, Lord, that you would touch people's souls and their spirits, their minds and their hearts as we talk about the shut door. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Together everyone says amen and amen. Well, last week when we talked about the open door, we went to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And we looked at the letters to the seven churches where the apostle John had a vision and he heard the words of Jesus and he wrote them down, which were messages to these seven churches. The seventh and final church was the church of Laodicea in modern day Turkey. Well, we're gonna go back to chapter three, but we're gonna look at the sixth church, also in modern day Turkey. They're known as the Church of Philadelphia. So that sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Christians in this province, in the area of Turkey, the Lord is now speaking to that church. Now out of those seven churches, the message that Jesus has given to those churches in some way represent his message to us today in the church of Jesus Christ here in the 21st century. So we look at it and we begin to say, Lord, what are you saying to us our church and believers all throughout the world today. Well, as he speaks to the church of Philadelphia, he declares a couple things about himself, and then he makes some declarations about them as well. And then he gives them three promises based on that. So we're gonna pick it up at verse seven, and we'll read through verse 13. And let's just go verse by verse, starting in verse seven. This is what it says. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, or the messenger, the pastor, the leader of the church in Philadelphia, these are words of him, Jesus, who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Let's just stop right at verse 7. Because here we see a couple of things that Jesus is declaring about himself. First of all, Jesus is declaring that I have all authority in my hands. I have all authority in my hands. Secondly, he declares that I have all power in my hands. What do we mean? Well, let's look back at that phrase, he who holds the key of David. You see, keys represent authority. Keys represent 
access. You may have a key to your house or to your apartment or to your car. Or even yesterday I was in a a friend's office and he said, I have the key card because he has the authority and the access. Maybe the key to a hotel room or a storage unit. Whatever it may be, keys represent authority. You have the right to go in and access. You have the opportunity to walk from one space to another space and the key is the access for it. Now, this particular passage in Revelation is actually a prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah 22, verse 22. Let's look at that, and then we'll come back to Revelation 3. But if you're not familiar, check it out. Isaiah 22, 22 says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can can open. So it talks about the keys to the house of David, the same language that's used now that John is writing Jesus's words to the church in Philadelphia. In other words, Jesus is the Messiah who is known as not only the son of God, but he's known also as the son of David, meaning that he's coming through the lineage of the house of David, just as it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the house of David. And so that whole line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way through David, Jesus comes through the house of David and he's the Messiah who would hold the key, meaning he'd have all the authority and all of the anointing that comes with that household and that lineage. What's Jesus saying about himself? I hold the key of David. In other words, I have the authority, I have the anointing, I have access into the very presence of my father, God. So when we come into Christ, we have have that same authority and we have that same access to come into the presence of God. And that's why we can sing in worship. I'm a lover of his presence. But he also goes on to say, I have all power in my hand. And not only does he say, I hold the key of David, but he says, whatever he opens, no man can shut. And whatever he shuts, no man can open. That has to do with power. Jesus is saying, I have the power. If I open something, it's going to stay open. If I close something, it's going to stay closed. That nobody can overtake what I do. That I'm God all by myself. I'm all powerful. And so not only do I have the authority, he declares I have the power. There is a difference between power and authority. Authority means I have the right. Power means I have the might. And so just because you have the right to do something, you might not have the might to do it. Or just because you have the might to do something, you may not have the right to do it. But God is saying, I have both authority and power. I have the right to do what I want to do, the anointing and the access. And I also have the might to pull it, to pull it off. And so Jesus is saying, what I open, no man can shut. And what I shut, No man can open. Well, Jesus, would you prove it? Well, absolutely. Because when you go back one or two chapters, you'll begin to see in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 18, he tells us what he has power over. It's important because everybody might have some power, but the question is, what do you have power over? Do you have a power over the military, power over a police force, power over a family, power over a business? What do you have power over? Well, Jesus tells us in Revelation 1.18, I read, Jesus says, I am the living one 
I was dead. Behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys, here it is, to death and Hades. Hades being the grave, eternal after world. Jesus is saying not only death, but after death, death and the grave. What does he have power over? He says, I'm living. I was dead, but I beat death and I beat Hades. Jesus is saying, not only do I have the authority of the key of David, I have the keys and the power over death and over Hades. And the beautiful thing about that is if he gives you that authority and he gives you that power, then that means that death and Hades doesn't have power over you as well. This can be illustrated by my younger days when my 20s and my 30s, when I was playing basketball regularly. Pick up ball, you'd have five people on each side, and I was always that big man in the middle. And when they are bringing down the basketball trying to shoot, I would stand in that middle lane just like this. And some guy would dribble his way into the middle lane, and then he would try to do something called a layup, where he'd take the ball and he'd put it up and try to bounce it off the backboard and into the net. Here's the problem. I wouldn't let him do it. You see, they'd come into the lane, and they'd put the ball up like they're going to shoot it, like this or like this. But the big man in the middle's job was to make sure he didn't do it. And so when he would put the ball up like this, I'd stand there and I would smack it down. I would just smack that ball down. Now, in that day, and maybe in this day too, I don't know, people would do something called trash talking. And so we would talk trash back to each other. We would talk boldly to tell the other person, don't bring that in here anymore. And so whenever they would dribble the ball down and they would try to make that shot and I would slap it down, I would then say this, I got your number. Don't bring that mess in here no more. This meant no matter what they tried, every time they tried to come into my space, I would slap the ball down and I would talk trash. I got your number. Don't bring that mess in here. And so they would try it again. And even though they were only fourth graders, I would slap that ball down saying, I got your number. Don't bring that mess in here. Well, in a way, Jesus is trying to say when death in Hades is thrown at him because he has the authority and because he has the power, whatever Satan would throw at him, his best shot, he would throw at Jesus. Death was the best that he could do. The grave was the best that he could do. The cross was the best that he could do. They killed him on the cross. They nailed him on the cross. They put him in the grave and they thought that they had won. But Jesus said, I got your number. Get that mess out of here. I will beat death and I will beat Hades. In other words, I've got the key to your moves. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? You can't throw death in the grave at a believer and succeed because Jesus beat death and he beat the grave. And if you're in Christ, you will too. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when the enemy threw death in the grave at my daddy when I was 21 years old, Jesus said, get that mess out of here. My daddy is still alive today. He beat death. When he tried to throw death in the grave to Pastor Mitch's dad and Pastor Mitch's son and Sandy Alderman, one of our servants here, and Candy Campbell, one of our servants here, when Satan threw the best that he could at them, Jesus steps into the middle of the lane and he says, get that mess out of here. And today, David Mitchner Sr. and David Mitchner III and Sandy Alderman and Candy Campbell and my daddy, Reverend Robert J. Anderson Sr are alive and well because Jesus has the authority and he has the power over death. He may have thrown it at your mother, your sister, your friend, your family member, but Jesus says, I hold the key to death in Hades. Get that mess out of here. And the only reason why we're able to beat death and to be alive for eternity is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. See, because he died on the cross, we don't have to die an eternal death. Our physical bodies are a shell that will be shed because it's fallen. But we can be eternally alive and even have a glorified body into the future. Satan threw the best that he could at Jesus and at you. But Jesus makes these two declarations. I have all authority in my hands and I have all power in my hands. If you have the right and if you have the might, then you can walk up in the light. Because what God is saying to you is Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he's washed me white as snow. You know, Jesus declares something open, and when he does, it stays open, and that's eternal life. And so when you walk through the door of Jesus into eternal life, guess what? For the rest of your life, for the rest of your eternity, you will live. And nobody can shut the door on your eternity. But if Jesus declares something shut, it will remain shut and nobody can do anything about it. If you don't believe me, ask Zachariah. Remember him? When Jesus was supposed to be born about six months before then, his cousin John was supposed to be born. And God said to Zachariah and his old wife, Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. His name's John. He's going to precede the Messiah, Jesus. Zachariah didn't believe it. And he started asking questions of the angel, Gabriel, that showed up. And he goes, I don't, I don't believe that this is going to happen. And, 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 and Gabriel says in Luke 1.19, the, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Verse 20, and now now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true in this proper time. Zechariah couldn't speak again until baby John was born. 
You see, God can shut the mouth of folk that may even speak against his will. He can shut the mouth of someone who speaks against him. God can shut the mouth of people who speak against you. When God shuts something, he shuts it, and only he can open it. We even witnessed this in a pandemic where where God allowed this virus to completely shut down our entire nation, indeed, the entire world. God shuts something down. He can shut it down like that. I believe that God wants to shut certain things down in your life. In fact, somebody needs God to shut something down even now. Somebody needs God to shut the mouth of the enemy. Somebody needs God to shut the mouth of a a gossiper or a slanderer. Somebody needs God to open and close doors in their lives. And somebody right now might be praying, shut it down, Lord. Shut down that court case. Shut down those accusations. Shut down the enemy's schemes. Shut down those cancer cells. Shut down that disease. Shut down the spread of that virus. Shut down the sickness, Lord. Shut down the toxicity in relationships, God. Shut down the manipulation in the office. Shut down the manipulation in the marriage. Shut down my attackers. Shut down my distractors. He's a God that can shut doors that no one can open. Does anybody need God to shut something down today? Does anybody need God to shut someone down today? Every now and then when someone's leaving my office, I might say, shut the door behind me. And in a sense, God can do this. He can shut the door behind you. You see, if you're in Christ, when Christ walks through a threshold, he can shut the door behind himself. And anybody that tries to get to you has to go through him, but he's the door. Remember, I'm the gate, I'm the door, the Lord says. So they got to go through him to get to you. And so Jesus can shut the door even behind you. And God does this. You come into a relationship with Christ. You realize all the sin in your life. He forgives you. He cleanses you. But things from your past still want to chase you down. Do you know God can shut the door behind you? Somebody might need to just say, Lord, shut the door. Shut the door on my guilt. Shut the door on my shame. Shut the door on my bitterness. Shut the door behind me on my unforgiving heart. Shut the door behind me of all those relationships that went so badly. Oh, Lord, shut the door on Leroy from my past. Shut the door from Lola from my past. Shut the Facebook door. Shut the Instagram instant message door. God, block them, delete them, confuse them, encrypt them. Lord, do whatever you have to do to to shut the door because I don't want anything chasing me down from my past. The only two things I want following me is what it says in Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is anybody glad that they have a God that can shut the door? Thank you, Lord, that you can shut the door but we also have a God that can open a door, can he? Somebody else might be praying, oh, Lord, open the door. God can open doors that no man can shut. Open the door of deliverance and open the door of prosperity and open the door of abundance and 
open the door of victory. And God, open the door of entrepreneurship. Open the door of networks. Open the door of opportunities. Open the door of contracts. Open the door of right relationships. You know God can do just in one night, God can open the door from one relationship to another. You can be at an event, and before you know it, you go into that event one way, you come out that event another way because you connected and networked with somebody because God can open the door to new and right relationships just like that. God, open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing I do not even have room to receive, and I'll bless others with the overflow. God, open the door. You not only serve a God who can shut doors that no man can open, but you serve a God who can open doors that no man can shut. So he makes these declarations about himself, but then he also makes these declarations about them. He he declares, he's like, listen, I know your deeds. I know, I, I know your deeds, that's, that's, that's the first thing. Jesus says to all these churches, every one of them, he says, all seven of them, I know your deeds, I know your deeds. But he's telling the church in Philadelphia, listen, I know your good works. I know what you have done. You're, you're, you've, been, you've been working hard. And as you've been working hard, I've seen your hard work. God wants somebody to know today that he sees their hard work. He sees their deeds. Because when you're working for the Lord, Your labor is not in vain. For those of you who are serving God, God wants you to know he knows your deeds. He knows your works. He knows how hard you've been putting time in for the glory of God. God sees all that you are doing for the kingdom. And he says to the Christians in Philadelphia, I see your deeds. And he says that to you today. Even if others don't see you working so hard in the kitchen, Miss Joan, God sees you working in the back. Even though those may not see you and you're preparing food for the creative arts ministry back in the green room, Mama Cheryl, God sees your good works. And and even though you're grocery shopping on a Saturday and you have a full-time professional job doing other things, you're still making sure that the pastoral team has breakfast during the services. God sees your good works, Miss Leslie. And even though you're writing contracts and emptying trash cans and and folding clothes for kids and working late hours and driving people from place to place, working on presentations late into the night, raising kids day in and day out, praying without ceasing. I want you to hear Jesus knows your deeds and he sees your good works. As you event plan and make sure everything looks perfect for an event and you work on the flowers and you work on the seating charts, God wants you to know that he sees your good work, whatever you're doing. He knows the efforts you are putting in and serving him. When you feed the hungry Millicent, God sees what you are stocking in the community cupboard. When you clothe people who can't afford to be all dressed up and stylish, God sees what you do to dress people that may not be able to afford a dress for an interview. And God sees the sacrificial donations that you guys give in order to advance the ministry so we can serve refugees in Afghanistan or in Ukraine or people right here in our very country. God sees it. Pastor Jen, when you visit the sick and when your caregivers visit the shut-in, God sees your deeds, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus says, I see your deeds. But he also declares this, I see you're drained. 
<laughs> he says, I see your deeds, but I also see you're tired. <laughs> I, I, I see it. Verse 8, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. But then he says, I know that you have little strength. I know you're drained. I know you're tired. Yet you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. You see, he makes declarations about himself. I have authority and power. But he also makes declarations about them. Hey, listen, I, I, I know your deeds. I know, I know you're drained. I, and I want you to know that while you have little strength, hang in there. Because even though the day is long, the day is almost over. And there's going to be a day that passes by. And when it becomes nighttime, no man shall work. That one time in our season of humanity, the Lord is going to come back and no one knows the day or the hour. And the night will cometh and no man shall work. So don't deny me. Patiently endure and hold on to the end. And Jesus says, I know you have a little strength, but just hold on. Don't give up now. And what Jesus says is, listen, I'm going to give you some promises. And these three promises are going to help you hold on to the very end. Well, I know your deeds and I know you're drained. I, I, I realize that and you have little strength left. I want you to hold on to these three promises until the night comes. Promise number one, you will not be defeated by the enemy. I'm there. Promise number two, you will not suffer during the time of trial and tribulation. Promise number three, you will have a permanent place in heaven. Look at each one of those promises. Verse nine, promise number one, you will not be defeated by the enemy. Verse nine, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. The thing that Satan hates is that God loves us and it's shown. The synagogue of Satan is really referring to a group of people who were persecuting the church, saying that they were Jews, but they weren't. Too much to go into now, but basically you can say it in one word, hashtag imposters. Bottom line, they were imposters in the house. And guess what? In a lot of churches, there may be some imposters, but somebody needs to hear you will not be defeated and Satan will not win. And while we are Christians, there are a lot of people who pose as Christians. While we are followers of Christ, there are a lot of people who pose. Some church folk are imposters, predators, false prophets, charlatans. Some people, their only motive for coming to church is so they can do a business deal with somebody else instead of being about the father's business. But he wants the church to know you will not be defeated. She's my bride, and I will always strengthen her. But he makes a second promise. You will not suffer during the time of tribulation. Verse 10, listen to what it says. Since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, that's what they've been doing, I will also keep you from, here it is, the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. This hour of trial, he's saying, you're in, keep enduring patiently. Your courageous endurance and your resistance of the attack of the enemy and your standing of under suffering, I've noticed it, but I want you to know there's a time of greater suffering and tribulation that you will be spared from. 
Some believe this is the great tribulation, this hour of trial. We could do a whole sermon series on the great tribulation, but just notice a couple of passages that it refers to that we can look at, like Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22 say this, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equal again. Verse 22, if those days had not come, been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those are followers of Jesus Christ, those days will be shortened. A time is coming when great tribulation will come on the earth. Some say it's for seven years, and some believe that believers will be taken up before that time is launched of seven years of amazing suffering on the face of the planet, but the believers will not be here, but there will be other new believers that will come up during that time, and those are the ones that have a very special uh, anointing to be patient and courageous, and many of them may not make it, but many will. That will be a tough time to be a Christian. Some say the believers will be taken up in the middle of that time. Others say that the believers will be taken up after that time, and then the end of the world will come. Again, while you can do a whole study on this, what I want you to know is that there is a time of great tribulation that is coming on the earth. Some actually believe we're in that great tribulation right now, that everything you're seeing around the world and on the earth right now all converging at the same time. Maybe us believers are in the tribulation. And whether we're in the tribulation or not, I can tell you what, we're in some trying times, amen? Even last night, right, we heard of a shooting in Buffalo, New York by an 18-year-old with a, a white supremacist manifesto all written up, shot 10 people, uh, maybe more, but I think 10 were killed. And that's just in, in, our, in our country. You could go to any city in the country, any place in the world, whether it was you know, at a Walmart a couple of years ago or whether it's you know, at, a, at a grocery store in Buffalo just last night. We need racism now more than we've ever needed it before. And we, uh, we pray for those families that have lost their loved ones on a normal Saturday just going to shop at a grocery store that many Americans just go do on, on, on the weekends, you know, and found themselves shot and killed because we've got to expand the minds of people to know that Jesus Christ can save you from all the demons inside of you and that you don't have to hate other people that don't look like you. And these aren't older folk who I've been around since, you know, since 1950 or 1925. And, and I tell you what, things should, should never change. It's not that. We're talking about 18-year-olds, 21-year-olds, people who have hate in their hearts, in a multicultural society. We're talking about people who are, who are shooting themselves. We're talking about a day and an age where war is happening in different parts of the world. Yes, in Ukraine, but look at Ethiopia. All over the world. Are we in the tribulation? I don't know, but we're in trying times. What Jesus says in Luke 21, verse 36, listen, be always on the watch and pray that you will be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I know your works, I know your deeds, I know you're drained, but hang in there because your enduring patience is worth everything. And I want you to know, even though things are bad now, you will be freed from that hour of trial. They must have held on to that thing because I think they thought, man, we must be in a tribulation right now because things are crazy. And he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
And maybe somebody needs to hear that. I know things are bad. You can be so discouraged. And the Lord is saying, look, I, I know you're tired. You're tired of another news story. You don't even want to turn on the news. You don't like CNN. You don't like Fox. You don't like MSNBC. You don't even like the news at all. You know, there's others of you like news junkies like me. You turn it on to make sure you're up to date. Why well, is always breaking news on CNN? Like, is somebody just running that ticker all the time? Is everything breaking news? Okay, like everything's breaking news. Well, after a while, breaking news could break your heart. And you're like, I had to turn this mess off. It's too much. I need some encouragement. I need some, I need some positivity. I, I, shoot, I need a hug. Jesus is saying, I know you're tired. Hold on. But he makes this, this third and final promise. He says, you will have a permanent place in heaven, verses 11 and 12. So it's, all, it's not all about what's happening down here. He says, I'm coming soon. Thank you, Jesus. I said that the other day. He's coming soon, and Amber's like, yeah, but not before I have grandkids. I'm like, baby, I don't think, my son's not before I get married. Like, I remember that when I was younger. I'm like, Lord, I want you to come back. Come back soon, Jesus. But first, I'd like to, I'd like to be married so I could, like, do it the, the godly way. Please, God. Like, you know, please, Lord, can I just try it? And then come. And I think some of us are that way, though. We're like, Lord, Lord, I want you to come. Oh, oh I, I got a sister that's not saved yet. I've got a son who's still out there. I've got a daughter that I want to see graduate. So there's this tension for the believer, right, that you want him to come, but, but hold on, God. And then there's the older, older, older ones who's like, no, please, take me or come. I'm done with this world. Anybody just like, you done. So we all feel something different when it comes to this. But what he wants you to know is that whenever he comes, because I'm coming soon, whenever he comes, I want you to know this. Hold on to what you have now so that no one will take your crown. Don't give up. Persevere. Because verse 12 says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar, the temple of my God, in the temple of my God, never again. Will he leave it? Meaning heaven. The Lord's never going to leave it again. I will write on him the name of my God, talking about those that get into heaven, and the name of the city of my God, known as the New Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. See, when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you walk through through the only door, the open door, the one who sees your deeds will also reward your faithfulness. And when you get to heaven, Philadelphian believers, he's going to write his name on your heart. And he has a place for you in heaven where you will be a permanent fixture, a pillar, if you will, just a picture of what it means to be permanent there in heaven. And then this John who's writing to the church at the beginning of the book of Revelation is now writing of heaven in the last book of the Bible. And he says this, be encouraged, believers. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse three of Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them 
and be their God. Verse four, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or broken hearts, broken dreams, broken relationships. No more moms crying over the death of their sons. No more fear of walking into grocery stores. No more crying out for Baltimore to have a day where there is no murders in August 2022. For the old order of things has passed away. He who overcomes will inherit all of this and I will be his God and he will be my son. No more suffering. No more racism. No more sexism. No more chauvinism. No more diseases. No more sickness. No more COVID. No more cancer. No more heartbreak. There is a day in the new heaven and the new earth. You'll have no fear, no guilt, no shame. You'll have perfect bodies, whatever that looks like. They're going to be perfect. Perfect hairlines. No weaves. You won't need it. You'll have everything that you've always wanted. You want perfect eyelashes. You don't have to even put those on. It's going to be perfect in heaven. They used to say, you know, as you get older, you start balding, right? And those who are in the who are bald, the men and bald in the front are known as what? Thinkers. Those who are bald in the back are known as what? Lovers. Those who are bald all over just think they're lovers. You get to, but you know what? You get to heaven. <laughs> perfect hairline, perfect weight. Your clothes will all fit. <laughs> Will there even be clothes in heaven? Hmm, something that makes you go, hmm. Jesus says, I open the door to eternal life. And if you walk through the door, you'll, you'll have eternal life with me. And we'll walk right into the new heaven and the new earth. That's what he says. But he also says, once God shuts the door that no man can open. I, I, I read Revelation 21, but the horror is in the chapter before in Revelation 20. And I don't like reading it. And I, it concerns me to read it. It, it horrifies me to read it. I, if it wasn't in there, I, then I would, I would skip it. If, if, if I didn't have to read Revelation 20, I wouldn't read it. I thank God for 21, but chapter 20 says this right before 21. It says... The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades. Remember what he has power over? Death and Hades gave up the dead and they were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And whether figurative or literal, it is talking about death and eternity separated from God forever, the second death. 
See, we may all die the first death. That's just physical. But the second death is eternal and spiritual. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born physically, you'll die physically and eternally. But if you're born twice, physically, we're all born once. Now, you're born twice. When you accept Jesus into your heart, into your life to forgive you of your sins, you are born again. And if you're born twice, you'll only die once. And that's a physical death. But once the door is shut, finally shut, like the ark of Noah, once the door closes and God says the end of the world has happened and no one else can come in to eternity, chapter 20 says, death in Hades is then thrown into the lake of fire. And there will be many people that will say, no, not yet, Lord. No, not yet, Lord. No, not yet, Lord. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. I want to come. I want to come into the ark. I, I want to come into eternity. But once he shut the door, there's nothing left but a trap door that drops you straight down to eternity. Separated from Christ forever. I don't like it. But it's the truth. What he opens no one can shut, but what he shut, no one can open. And when he finally shuts the door behind him and takes us into the eternal state, there will never be a need for a savior again, and there will never be another opportunity for those to come into eternity. While that may be horrifying to hear, I want you to know that Jesus so loved the world and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And while it's somewhat discouraging that one day this door will be shut on all humanity, the good news is this, it's not shut yet. Some of you ought to be glad that the door was open for you to still come in. And I want you to know today the door is still open for you to come in. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the gate. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might have life. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Friends, wherever you are, in your house, in your car, in your kitchen, on your bed, in a park, the door is still open. Why don't you pray with me now? I'm going to pray a prayer where you can walk through that door, through this prayer of faith, to say, Jesus, thank you for not shutting the door on me. I want to come in. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we think about the shut door. We thank you that it's not shut yet. And Lord, I want to come into a relationship with you. Save me now. I make a decision to come through the open door. I don't want to fall through a trap door. I don't want to go into eternity not knowing you. So Jesus, I pray that you'd come into my life. I invite you into my heart. For it is in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.
thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.